0: Hello and welcome to the TFO Football Podcast. I'm
1: Joe Devine, and I'm delighted to be joined by Seb Halford's floor. Hi, Seb. Hi there, Joe Devine. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, also... Uh, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm deflated, actually. Meh. <laughs> yeah. Also here is John McKenzie. Hello. How are you? I am flated. You are flated. Yeah, I'm a little flated. I had a baked potato earlier. But also here... Much better than a baked potato is Kiva O'Neill. Hi, Kiva.
2: <laughs> Thanks. How are you? I'm much better than a baked potato. Are you finally. happy about that? Yeah, quite. But, I mean, my new Twitter bio feels.
1: Baked potatoes are very good.
3: Three of us had baked potatoes for dinner, so yeah. we all like baked
1: potatoes. We're all going to want to leave this room <laughs> desperately. <laughs> I'm holding on the podcast. Anyway, fine. Well, listen. Uh, lots on the docket to discuss today. England are out. France go through. Uh, Portugal, Morocco, Morocco. Story of the day. That's the one. That's the story. We should start with that. No, we'll start with England and we'll come back to, uh, to Portugal, Morocco. But that's very, very, very exciting. And also we've got uh, points of bad a little bit later too. Uh, but uh, have you had a fun day generally there, Kiva?
2: Yeah, I think the Morocco game was probably now the highlight. I went out into Trafalgar Square as well and met a few of their fans and they were just absolutely overjoyed. So that was nice.
4: Did you see Seb there? I think I, just I might missed have gone you, about 45 I? minutes too early. Aww. I got there and it was a kind of mix of tourists, was you with Christmas the pyro. No, no, I was kind of, I got in, I got in sort of the Charing Cross side and it was just, it was, there was no theme to it. I, I was kind of imagining wild street parties with the Moroccan flags and I just turned around and walked back to the office. Yeah. I should have stayed. Were there lots of this. people there when you yeah. got there?
2: Were there? You see my Twitter, loads of, loads of videos and mm. it was good fun. Very, uh, very nice mood.
1: Well, if you like good fun and a very nice mood, then you should visit The Athletic. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Do you know, I never open the app and don't have a very nice mood, huh? Mm. Huh? Yeah? What, what, what have you read recently, Seb?
4: Uh, well, the best thing I think I've read is, is um, Alex Habnos and Jay Harris wrote a piece about all the Moroccan fans who were celebrating around the world ah. after the quarterfinal. Right. So what I did is I kind of read it again and multiplied everything by about four mm-hmm. to imagine what's now happening. Yeah. Because Moroccan fans are everywhere; they're kind of um, they're celebrating all over the world. It's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they, the guys do a great job of, of describing those scenes. So
1: I have some have half Moroccan, read. half French family.
4: Are quite they quite ex- s- excited for them to be conflicted. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, that is quite conflicting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But it's kind of a win-win. Yeah, I suppose in a way.
4: Do you speak to those members of your family? Not really, no. So it's kind of a neutral situation. <laughs> kind of it? neutral yeah. for me, yeah,
3: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Not because I don't like No, them. no, just sure. they just, just live in a different country. You just and, don't you care know, about them. Going down a wormhole now, yeah. aren't we? Anyway, yeah. listen, I will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of distant family members. <laughs> <laughs> yes, England won. To France. Oh, there we go. It's all over, John. Uh, not for you, of course, because you're a neutral, um, which I feel like is worth saying uh, before you start to analyse the game. Uh, though you sound like you would support England, you actually support Scotland, um, and therefore you are very biased against England. No, I'm just joking. You're a neutral in terms of this game. Um Tell us what happened and tell us why you kept shouting game state the whole way through the match.
3: <laughs> well, in terms of the overall tactical battle between these teams, obviously the anti-Mbappe plan that was being banded around in the media was um, was, was Gareth Southgate's plan to deal with Kylian Mbappe. Uh, and I think it was very interesting to sort of work out how that actually broke down in, in the game. So on the board in front of me, we've got, we've got France. France playing a 4-2-3-1 here. And Mbappé plays on the left-hand side of that, right? And Mbappé is very uh, lackadaisical, let's say, in terms of dropping back into, into defensive situations, right? It's not
1: really required of him, is it?
3: Well, that's the interesting thing, because you would think that in a defensive situation, what would happen if you were going to play like a four-four-two block, which a lot of teams do, you, you'll have your wingers dropping in, and then your number 10 will push up here alongside, and then you've got your two forward pressing players here, and then you've got two banks of four behind So you've got a sort of 4-4-2. Four, four, yeah. And so the idea then is that if, if Mbappe is pushing up in these situations, um, right up on the, the left-hand side, and he's not dropping in alongside his teammates, then you end up with this situation where on the left-hand side you've got a huge amount of space mm. uh, in, this, in this area on the left wing.
1: Or Teo Hernandez mm. has a lot of space to cover yeah, from exactly. left there. He had a tough game as well, didn't he? Is that partly because of the exposure?
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll c- go on to talk about him. But actually what happens in these situations is rather than Mbappe being expected to drop in and, and help out in those in those areas, what, what happens is that Mbappe pushes across and Giroud pushes across. And actually Griezmann, I pronounced his name in a very weird way again. Griezmann. Griezmann. Yeah. Do you remember
4: when he growled last time through it? Yeah. He mm. really went yeah, you know, pretty guttural. Yeah. yeah.
3: Griezmann drops in alongside Chirmeni and Rabiot pushes into this side a little bit. Mm. So Mbappe not helping out defensively is not as dangerous as you, as you might think. Yeah. Now, obviously, there's still weaknesses on this side because Rabiot is is technically playing in a, in a double pivot alongside Chirmeni. But what was happening is that England were trying to make the most of this by pushing Saka forward. They're keeping Walker deeper. They didn't want to push him up. They're happy for for Shore and Foden to push up. Um but they were dropping Henderson out onto the onto the wide right area here.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: The idea being that that they were going to try and get these overloads and build up in the wide area here. But Rabiot drops across. Uh, we've got Kane up here, and the, the problem then is is that you have the situation where you've got you're ma- basically matching your midfield here in Giroud or Mbappe dropping to help with the pivot in England's build up too. Yeah. So actually, what you're what you're doing in this situation, the idea is to make the most of the fact that Mbappe isn't. Um, dropping in to help out defend but actually France have a really nice system then for making sure that that area is covered and they end up
1: sort of overloading a bit in the middle
3: yeah exactly so you don't you end you end up then losing some of these battles I think because because Rabiot does stay a little bit more narrow here and you end up Mm. um, with with a 2v3 in this sort of area and England obviously want to build up on their left hand side through Shaw and Foden because they don't want Walker to get forward too much so it felt to me very much like in this game the advantage you th- might think that you might get from Mbappe playing on the left-hand side was, was neutralised to a certain extent. Although, mm. interestingly, as you said, the most... The most dangerous dynamic, I think, for England was Saka on Hernandez, and, yeah. and England were constantly finding Saka, uh, and he was just holding Hernandez off uh, and then rolling. And they, they, a few chances were generated um, in in this sort of area. Saka obviously wins the penalty as well, and then Harry Kane as well, I think, rolls up a Meccano in this kind of area as well. So they did get some upside from from these these kind of areas in the first half in particular, yeah. uh, but. I think overall, the, the way that France played actually balanced quite nicely off the way that England would want to play as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, Kiva, France's first goal kind kind of, maybe it's a bit unfair to say it came out of nowhere, but it, but it, it didn't feel uh, expected at that moment. And then it just completely changed the game, didn't it?
2: Yeah, I think it did come out of nowhere. It just sort of... Sure. Chirmini just popped up and, and scored and it felt like France have the capability to do that and you felt like they might do that. They obviously did. Um, England looked pretty in control and pretty confident. Probably England's best performance in a tournament, could you say? They were? They played really well against so. tough opposition. Um, but that goal sort of comes out of nowhere. I don't think it really matters or changes the game in any kind of way. England obviously then to get the penalty he thought Saka was absolutely brilliant but it's interesting that I think Kyle Walker goes forward just before they get the goal and then doesn't really go forward again in the first half he yeah. just kind of stays back then because obviously you've got Mbappe to mark and yeah. Mbappe actually is involved although you know Griezmann We'll get the the plaudits for obviously assisting both goals. Mbappe, he's like a spark as soon as he gets the ball. It's like the electricity just starts running through the French team. And that's what seemed to happen. Um, But I thought Jordan Henderson and Bakayo Saka were two of England's best players tonight. And they linked up really well. And then they just disappeared after, obviously, France got the second goal, which was a bit disappointing.
1: They also, I mean, what did you make of Saka being subbed off? So he replaced that, by Henderson turning. was,
2: like, when he was sprinting 100 metres in the first yeah. minute, I was like, you got 70 minutes in the tank here with yeah. him. But Saka was quite surprising. I know Mount comes on and then obviously wins the penalty. But Saka was building up to this moment. It felt like this moment mm. was coming and going to happen for him. And then, obviously, Southgate takes him off and it just felt a bit like that was a deflating moment for everyone because we were all yeah. building up to this Bakayo Sacco moments and then we didn't get it, which was yeah. a bit
1: sad. Uh, a player that we did get lots of moments from um, was Hugo Lloris, said, yeah. who, who had quite a good game. <laughs> yeah. um, not to suggest at all that either uh, you know, the outcome would have been different if he had a worse game. I don't, I don't think England had that that many clear-cut opportunities, but Lloris certainly was an important player for, for France.
4: Yeah, it was a kind of, it was a spurs performance from him in the sense that like he made his really good saves. He had a few iffy moments from crosses when we dropped a couple, and um, he was—he's someone you always think you're going to get an opportunity out of, but ultimately in a game of those kind of thin margins, like the save he made—the um, save he made in the second half, the one he tipped just over the crossbar—is uh, one of the best saves I've, I've, I've seen him make. Kiva made a really good point during the game. He has this really unusual technique where you see him dive almost with his body before he puts out his hands. Mm. And so it always feels like any shot that's going towards goal is going to go in. And then at the last minute, he kind of puts out a hand to deflect yeah. it. He had a really good game. Uh, he's a big reason why France were in the semifinals. Um, it's kind of measure. Also, I, I, I know the mood is, is kind of down, but I, I was really happy with the way England played. I was really encouraged by yeah. kind of some of the personality and the performances. And well,
1: it's worth saying is it was yeah. an interesting opportunity to see England at a major tournament yeah. against a big team like France. Like there's been lots of people uh, talk, talk before about the idea that England's progression through tournaments over the last uh, couple, of, a couple of tournaments has been past teams that are under the elite level. Um, and certainly, France is the biggest opposition I think that England have faced at a major tournament for a lo- long time. So it's quite exciting to see them. It was a very different game. Yeah, I mean it's
4: bittersweet because I, I think the trend in these kind of games has been that England underperform; they are inhibited, they play like they did, for instance, against Italy in Euro twenty twelve, where they they kind of they're so aware of their inferiority, like from a kind of technical perspective, that that instructs their performance. Um, whereas tonight, I thought they were aggressive for you Know decent periods of the game. I thought like Mikai Saka was excellent. I thought G Bellingham was very good. I enjoyed Phil Foden in moments like these, like these are things you don't often say at the end of an England elimination. Yeah, um, and I don't know, like I I just think it's one of those things where I I think France are just a better side. I think England probably played a little bit better tonight, but the lesson is like you take your chances. That's really trite observation. I I understand, but it's the truth and it it comes up in World Cups again and again and again. Well, they also,
1: I mean, they, they, John, they they didn't create enough chances like if you take the penalties away which obviously you can't right but presumably the non-penalty XG would show that I don't think there were really that many clear-cut chances in open play for England (laughs) I agree that they were the better team but less about taking chances and I think more about creating them, isn't it?
3: Yeah, so I've just looked at Opta's, um XG plot and they have England at 2.4 expected goals. Now 1.6 of that came from penalties. Now, right. Obviously, as you say, a penalty is a legitimate way of scoring and it's a good way sure. of, of getting chances. But if you take that away I think it leaves sports at 0.8 expected yep. goals from open play. Well, that's not even from open play because obviously chances came from, from corners and, and, and set, set pieces as well. Um so, yeah, the, but this is the way that England have played, right? This is the way that you can, you can game the system in the, on the international stage, right? If you, if you work hard on your set pieces uh, and if you have players who are going to win, I mean, England won those two penalties and, uh, and, uh, will have to consider themselves unlucky to not still be playing right now as we record. Yeah. Um, but I would say, like, to go back, you asked me right at the beginning about game state and I didn't really talk about it. Yeah,
1: what is, what is, what is game state? What do you mean by that?
3: Yeah, so game state just simply refers to the situation that a team are in at any one point in a game and, and, and the the various um, uh, exigencies that might affect the way that they're playing. So um, obviously England were 1-0 down fairly early on and that changes the way that England are going to play and that changes the way that France are going to play because I think France came into this game expecting to try and get the first goal and then sit back and rely on the fact that they've got Mbappe who's one of the best transitional players in the world and and they know then they can you can worry about England's attacking play and then just sort of vibe out in in, in the wide left areas through Mbappe and and hope that you pick up a second goal to go ahead and then you then you can be a little bit bit freer um, and I think that impacted the way that France played in in the first half in particular I think they're quite happy allowing England to have the ball um England were trying to build up in in wide areas. They weren't generating a huge amount through the middle. There was obviously some dangerous moments. We've talked about the cane, uh, the cane roll of Upper Macano, uh, and then the, there was the penalty situations as well. But I think France will look back on this and say, "Okay, a couple of silly head losses." So Chuamini mm. jumps in a little bit on mm. Saka, and then Teo Hernandez just barges through Mason Mount in a situation that yes. actually I don't think was very dangerous. That's that's definitely um, tournament. Head loss uh, territory. Yeah. Beyond that, they'll be fairly happy, I think, with with the way they played.
1: That's the thing. Can I just interject quickly to just say as well? I think in the in this specific game, whilst yes, a penalty uh, is stopping an open play opportunity that that you know might have in the. In the context of the XG conversation, mm. might Mike, Mike might have a healthy dose of that attached to it, or might just be able to create a good opportunity? I think in this game, <laughs> it's not really the case. Like we've talked, in, in fact, there's a chapter of the book Seb, yeah. about penalties and how sometimes they seem a they feel a bit unfair because the likelihood of scoring from a penalty is about seventy eight percent, right? Versus where you win a penalty from and, mm. and the context of that situation when you win it is almost always significantly lower than that. The Mason Mount penalty, Mason Mount's not getting anywhere near that ball. Mm, yeah. It's not dangerous it's at, at, at all. Great. It's a a it Zaka is a was penalty, but it's like, Out
3: of the penalty yeah. area as well. He, he could like, have got a shot away. It's
1: never, ever going to be a goal. As far as, as I'm like, concerned. Harry as a,
3: non-penalty. A, that 0.0, that yeah, yeah.
1: 0.0 XG there. Yeah. So I think it's just... Um, I don't know, it's interesting, isn't
3: it? But yeah, to come back to the game today, they, obviously England then get back in through the penalty. And then I think France came out a little bit more in the in the second half. And they, they had that, that period where they had a couple of chances in quick succession, got the goal, and then they sat back again and were a little mm. bit more... If you look at the XG plot, it flattens out again after they score their second goal because they're, they're not trying to go out and score. So so being two one up changes the, the way they're approaching the game. I think it's a pretty risky way of playing sometimes, but it's worked out for them in this occasion. And it was only Harry Kane yeeting a penalty over the bar that that stopped them from, from suffering from that.
1: What did you make of that, Kiva? I mean, he'd already scored one, stuck, uh, you know, stood up to take the second, put it the same way and hit it over the top.
2: I felt really confident in him. And we were chatting and I, you said a lot of the time when he takes, I mean, all penalties are pretty pressurised situations. I don't know how they do them. Um, but you were saying that sometimes he goes down the middle.
4: Yeah, it's it's one that he likes. I mean, he's he's such a good ball striker normally that like he's he's pretty reliable at finding the corners. I always think it's really tricky when you have to take twice in the same game and also the added complication of Larice being his club mate. I always felt as if like that's the kind of that's the banker penalty, it's the high percentage one, isn't yeah. it? And um I don't know, it's um I have seen him do that before. He missed a penalty very similarly at Southampton a few years ago. Um, we just got underneath it and he struck it well enough, but it was nowhere near um it's really unfortunate for him as, as well because I, I think he actually played pretty well um but obviously the headline is going to be a missed penalty but then like what do you do is it's, it's got to be in those moments after the penalty's given it's gonna be so easy to to just get in your own head thinking yeah. i've gone down that side do i go there again he's my clubmate. what's he thinking is it was he quite a waste as well it was a way and that's fine like that's something you have to deal with that's yeah. just part of it but it adds to the pressure and um Yeah, it's complicated and you've got to be, emotionally, you've got to be so resilient, I reckon, to to deal with that. I mean, one penalty is bad enough, right? But Part of
2: me thinks, do you put Mason Mount who wins the penalty on the penalty almost just Mm. to take that pressure off Kane? And if he misses it, all right, he's just come on and then everyone will be like, why didn't Kane take it? But if he scores it, then, you know, we're not having that conversation. But Harry Kane scores penalties and he always blasts them into the top corner. Goalkeepers can't get near them. That's what he was trying to do. Mm. And it just didn't come off for him. These I think a second happen.
3: penalty always adds like a level of psychology that you don't get with just a single penalty. Yeah. Um,
1: and so it was like our second game of chess after I beat you in the first <laughs> one.
3: <laughs> the one where you collapsed <laughs> the one where embarrassingly. Instantly. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, my game, it was not even the equivalent of Harry Kane's over the bar. Mine was, it didn't, yeah, even, was didn't even
3: cross the goal. I was scoring like, an yeah. own goal from a penalty. Yeah. That, can that happen? If you hit I the think, ball the wrong way like, and it goes in your own goal. It's a good you, question. Can you do that?
1: Looking but that was basically what you did in that, in, that,
3: in that chess game. That's so. why I did in that chess game. Yeah. I don't know.
4: Yeah. I don't know. Interesting.
3: Um, the other thing I was going to say is that we've barely seen any players who take penalties in this World Cup go high with the ball. Mm. Um, and there's been, I think there's been some conversation about the ball being a little bit lighter than maybe previous balls. And I think when you're in that situation, a really high-pressure pressure situation to keep your team in the game, and you go high... With that added adrenaline that you have in those situations, it's so easy to get those fine margins wrong and, yeah. and go high. Um, so yeah, but again, it's 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 a horrible situation to be in. I've, I've been in like amateur games that just do not matter, yeah. and had to take penalties where, where you You're good at feeling. penalties. I never missed a penalty. <laughs> really, this is embarrassing. Until well, Bruno Fernandez, until one game, John McHenge. Where I missed two penalties in <laughs> the same game, uh-huh. and I never took a penalty. You Martin
4: Palermo, really?
3: You never took a penalty. I took a again. penalty. I won a penalty and took it to get. To, this was in. This is ridiculous. This is for, <laughs> for my college at university against the comparative college at Oxford. So it was sure. like a varsity game. Yeah. Obviously not important at all. But like, I, had a, I won a penalty in the last five it, minutes. It was important it enough for him to yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, I won a penalty in the last. Where was five it again? Say so where it was again.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Go on, go quite on. Varsity. Quiet, what does yeah. that word
1: mean? Mm. That's, quite, that's that's that sounds quite historic. What, what is it? university? Yeah. Is that a, a anyway? Type I, won of a, I won a penalty
3: in the last five minutes of the game to win the game, <laughs> and I clacked it, and it hit the angle of the post and bar, bounced down. Like just in front uh, of the line and then was cleared. Yeah. And we went through, played extra time and then went to penalties. No one else on my team wanted to take the one of the penalties. So I was like, fine, I'll take it. And I yeeted it over the bar. You and it like over I, the bar. It, I have never felt more pressure than I felt in that moment yeah. because my mind went blank. I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I was just like, I'm just going to hit it as hard as I can. And how did you Boom.
1: feel after?
3: Oh, I felt awful, Joe. Did you?
1: Yeah. 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 Hard
3: to describe how bad I felt.
1: Hard to describe.
2: Mm. I've got this real edge to like look up your university football history on Wikipedia. There's <laughs> still like a page for it? It feels like show should be. Tomorrow He's afraid.
3: been
4: trying to write it for quite some time, <laughs> Kiva, but they just keep rejecting it. <laughs>
1: there you go. Okay. Well, listen, let's talk about France a little bit. I'm sure we can talk more about England after. But um, what did they do well, Seb? Because they won the game. They did that mm. quite well.
4: I felt like I mean we we have talked about him before, but I felt like Antoine Griezmann's like performance in open play, forget the assists. Like his kind of ability to receive the ball. And I, I think despite England probably being having the better chances, I think like France's authority over the game was slightly more pronounced at times and that there's a big you know, Griezmann does a lot of lifting in that area. Um and it's not stuff which catches your eye. If you go back and you were to kind of watch a supercut of Griezmann's performances, performances his, um, his passes and you know, his retrievals and his receiving positions, um, he does a lot of the stuff that we praised Croatia for last night, which is takes a sting out of the game, eases a pressure. He's like a little bit of a pressure valve, which is so interesting to me because it's a reinvention of who Antoine Griezmann is as a footballer. Because I always think of him as a kind of a, an attacking player and, is, and I think of his goal scoring and his, kind of, um, his flamboyant Attributes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I enjoyed that. I felt like, I mean, all the way through the tournament, I kind of thought that France would win the World Cup, and depending on what happened to Brazil, probably at a canter. And I, I, I still do back them against Argentina. I just not, think it could be France, France, Croatia again. Uh, Argentina, I think, would probably get through against.
1: I know. I agree, but I mean, I'm just thinking it's it has the potential, right? Has there ever been uh, two finals in a row with the same teams? Uh,
4: I do not know the answer to that there's okay. probably uh there might be a germany holland somewhere in there i'm not yeah. sure
3: is there an argentina so netherlands a, final
4: yeah because they would they'd have been 78 yeah and um, what about the following on
3: 82 and brazil where?
4: 82 brazil i'd it seems like we can look this up another time we I, I reckon could probably do.
3: 86 that would, and 90 apparently that would probably be that's a what people are of, saying
4: of, okay yes is it's that italy like, brazil um, no, that would be uh, 90s Argentina. Laszlo Germany. saying Germany, Argentina. Argentina, 86 and 90. And then in 86, Maradona um, Maradona inspires yeah, was, Argentina to beat Germany. Well, is one fight. of them like West Germany and they're the other one not? Yeah, West Germany. They're both West Germany. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, anyway, 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 anyway. Long story short, I'm not sure I trust that defence. Like... The yeah, they were a bit wobbly today, weren't they? A little bit wobbly. I feel like um, some of Saka's moments, not just against Hernandez, but some of his moments cutting in from the right into the left, like the move which leads to the penalty is kind of about panic, isn't it? Because um, Hernandez, he goes away from his man, but also you watch many step back into a kind of screening role. And one of the big caveats about his move to Real Madrid was he's going to be a brilliant, brilliant player. There are some positioning and defensive issues that you're going to have to cope with as a young player it's not criticism he just he is inexperienced he's they brought a kind of um set of raw materials in a way and there's a little bit of jitteriness which if you think of Leo messi in that situation um and potentially la Montinez restored after scoring his penalty mm. maybe there's a bit of a problem um but i was really impressed actually by a lot of what france did I mean, in a different way to how i have been through most of the tournament i think they're just um they're probably one of the, the best functioning um didier Deschamps sides that i've seen um perhaps it's a little bit about you know them being a bit easier on the eye uh but i think they're going to be um yeah very very tough to be
3: i think it's worth saying that like a lot of the time it's easy to fall into results bias analysis of games but it, france didn't have to do much to win this game mm. um they, they obviously scored that goal from outside the box really early on no one expected it especially of two many yeah um and then they, got they, that they, lovely, they turned uh, things around a little bit for about ten minutes in the in the second half and sort of turned the screw a bit and then got yeah. and got the got the, the goal. And like,
1: Maguire combo. Uh,
3: yeah. So uh, whereas England, I mean, England had had the two penalties and then they they, they did sh- create other chances, could have been much more dangerous. So uh, that's the way what international did, football were they unlucky? Goes. I think that, that they're don't, they're unlucky to have not taken it to extra time for sure mm. um, because because you like like Kiva was saying, like Harry Kane takes a penalty, you expect him to put it out. I didn't mm. expect him to miss at all in that Mm. situation even with all the pressure that was was on it but again like so much of this comes down to france were trying to play the game in a really sort of professional way and not give too much away and they knew that they probably had that they were set to benefit if they could sit deeper and play in transition and they want and and england did i think a good job of stopping france from playing in transition yeah but the, the the way that the game sort of ebbed and flowed for me was like france sat back a little bit in the first half england get the equalizer france sort of the, the game then becomes a bit more bitty and balanced then france get the the go-ahead goal and then england get and then sit back a little bit more and england let england come to them so yeah.
1: it's quite interesting though isn't it because france you know i think um the the narrative around england and tournament football uh is is pretty uh vibrant let's say um but Deschamps, France is one of the inspirations for Southgate, right? Like the way that France play in tournaments is not dissimilar and is actually a direct it's,
4: influence. It's the example used to diffuse criticism of Southgate time and again, and yeah. quite rightly, because look, look how successful they've been. Yeah. And also the model works. Like I, you know, the game finished 2-1, yes, but like just minutes before Giroud scored, like he had probably a better chance to score. And like France have that, it's a slight Real Madrid quality in the sense that like the game can go against them and they can be under the caution, and they can be conceding chances and getting away with things a little bit or, um, you know, having refereeing decisions go against them. And yet somehow in that small moment in time, they're, they're efficient enough to take advantage or, and I, I think honestly that Giroud header doesn't probably get enough credit because it takes a little bit of a deflection off Maguire, which is just mm. unlucky for him, but um Giroud's just missed a, ter- a really really good opportunity like, yeah. he should score definitely he should score a good save from Pickford but he should score and there's a lot of players in the tournament I think probably a younger player thinks has a bit of a sulk about it or goes into their shell or look what happened to England after Kane missed his penalty yeah there was still well, there's still another 30 minutes left and England just were, were, were gone um and Giroud's there to kind of um to score the decisive goal and like yeah. it's very difficult to measure that quality and to put a label on it but it's so important and true like look at shrew's tournament like look at the goals he scored and look at when he scored them and like the, the variety of finishes it's just a priceless commodity in a tournament and he's as old as me and john like it's crazy <laughs> and, he's, uh, <laughs> and he's
2: still underrated
4: he's still underrated yeah <laughs> and absolutely he will,
2: even if france win the world cup again somehow he will continue to be underrated in a weird He's kind of way
4: france's record goal scorer okay so mbappe uh, will catch him before much longer but what an achievement for a guy that uh probably until about his mid-20s was, yeah. wasn't really rated by anyone mm. in the game he came from montpellier didn't yeah, he? yeah you won a title in montpellier <laughs> and, and he scored like um i think um without looking up he scored a, a goal a game in league 1 mm-hmm. during that season had an yeah. amazing year earned the move to to arsenal and his Arsenal career is kind of a study of, of the way he's viewed everywhere. It's like, yeah. oh, you're not quite Thierry
1: Henry. His contribution to that Jack Wilshere goal, though, that is just, that's honestly, that's one of the best Premier League goals for me.
4: His his career is littered with like amazing contributions. I think of like the, the Europa League final when Chelsea played Arsenal and his header in that game mm. or some of the stuff that he's been doing at AC Milan. All right. For a guy of his age, uh, it's amazing that he kind of remains... Sort of in the, sort of the, the position in the in the game sort of um, ecosystem that he does, just mm. because he's consistently brilliant and he consistently makes the players who play around him better. Mm. Uh, and yeah, he's a, he's a marvelous footballer.
2: And I think that point that you made that he's almost energized by the first chance he has and england in that moment to maybe just sort of switch off a little bit like yeah. that was their big chance they're not going to get a bigger chance than that and then a minute later yeah they pretty much do and Jury was just there to he takes it yeah. and
4: i think it goes in Regards to the deflection maybe it goes in you know but it's just it's a good really good strong header from not very far out i don't think pickford ever has a chance like if the, the 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 maguire deflection matters but um it's a great contact nevertheless
3: Can we talk about Gareth Southgate? Because I feel like a lot of the discourse about Southgate. Let's have
1: a break. And then when we come back, we'll do that.
0: Yeah.
3: Let's have a break then.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
3: Oh, what a wonderful break that was! <laughs> Did you enjoy that break, people? Oh, I enjoyed it. Uh, and, uh, Tell me more, John. No, no, you you have to go back to leading now. I've I've done my stint.
1: So you okay? What you've done though is you've done my bit, and then yeah. What do you think you want about to Gareth do, Southgate? Do you want me to do your bit? Should we swap places yeah. and I'll use the boards? Yeah. No, no I, I can't commit to the bit. Okay. Um, let's talk about Gareth Southgate though, because I mean, it, I don't. You know, I've no idea what Gareth Southgate intends to do, but this is his third. Major tournament. It's very possible it will be his last as England manager. Don't know. Um, what do you think?
3: Yeah. Well, we talked a lot about we the fact that we didn't really know what level England were at because they'd never really played many of these of these yeah. games where they um, play high ranking teams. I think the the stat is the last time England beat a team that were higher up the FIFA rankings was in two thousand and two when they beat Argentina. So obviously, twenty years ago is a long time. Um, and the big question about Southgate has always been how is he going to Set England up in these these games against the the teams who you would expect them to be slight underdogs against, right? And in this in this respect, like in this game, we, you've already mentioned that Deschamps and and Southgate are similar in that they're they're both going to they both want to sort of play very passive, um, fairly risk averse football and rely on the fact that they have better talent than than the opposition and that's what that's what happened yeah. to france today right their talent won them the game but yeah. i guess for me like i felt as though i wanted to see more from england in terms of we talked about build-up at half time um and on the board again we, t- we talked about how giroud and and, and mbappe are going to um, be the first line of pressure in the french press um and that france do this sort of shifty around to make to make that work in in effect these two are just the two worst presses that you'll you'll see
1: you're talking about Mbappe and Giroud
3: yeah Giroud and Mbappe like that that first line of pressure is super easy to get around and then you've got this situation where Griezmann is dropping in as a central midfielder who you wouldn't expect to see him in that kind of role and then Rabiot is always constantly worried about the space that is left by Mbappe over on the on the on the French left-hand side so mm. I feel as though that England could have probably generated more dangerous attacking situations through build-up and possession than, than they than they actually did in this game. And I, that's constantly been my criticism of Gareth Southgate because these players all play for teams who are going to be very good in build-up situations. They're going to be able to move the ball through, through build-up patterns. And I think for me, in this situation, there was a big chance for England to actually cause a lot of problems to France because France yeah. do have Deschamps, who, who isn't doing a huge amount of like technically tactical stuff.
1: So, Keeper, let me ask you this then. Based on what John has just said let's say uh, hypothetically Southgate were to leave, A, who do you replace him with? Because it's not like there's loads of uh, excellent coaches just sitting around, right? And B, given how little time a coach really has with an international team, what do you think the expectations should be in terms of the style of football that England play? Because John makes a fair point, they they do have a a large number of very talented players.
2: And those players are really young as well. So this team, I feel almost not strongly enough about Southgate and like whether he should go or stay I don't really know like let other people decide I guess but I I just feel like he's built this togetherness but this squad is young and is going to go forward and you know this is probably England's best performance at a major tournament that I've ever seen and probably for a long time whether you know he stays on and they build towards that Euros and then you know but I just, I don't know where this goes. And I don't know sort of like, what is the mood right now? Do people want him to go? Do people want him to stay? Like, I I just don't know. He's not someone that would massively inspire fear into opposition. I don't think France tonight would be thinking like, oh, tactically England are going to like do something crazy or I don't think he's that kind of manager that you necessarily... If he's, a, if he's a manager at a club and, you know, your team are playing against him, I don't think you massively go, oh no. But he's done such an amazing job with this England team. So you kind of wonder who who gets the job after him and what kind of manager do they, do they go for? Do they go for someone, you know, who, who plays a little bit more attacking or I just, I feel a bit, I feel like a lot of people will feel this way right now. Like kind of like what, where do they go? What happens next?
1: It's interesting because also to give to his point of where do they go, it's not like it was in the past when, you know, the England job was a kind of coveted job and that you might be able to go to the top, the first division and, and offer it to any of the managers it's there and they would step job, it up. No. It's definitely a lesser job. Yeah. Like, you know, I remember thinking a year ago, well, Graham Potter would be a good English manager, wouldn't he? Because, you know, why not, right? But like Graham Potter is now the Chelsea manager. And you have to be honest, like, Taking the England job, particularly if you are not in English and therefore you don't have like a necessarily a fandom of the team, it's a, it's a, it's not even a step down; it's a step into a different dimension, right?
4: Yeah, I I, I think so, and also like to make your reputation as a coach today. I think you have to be active in a day-to-day sense. Yeah. I think you need to, for your ideology to um, to become public and for people to kind of seize upon it, you need to be competing in the Premier League or, you know... Is or it also what
1: defines a current coach as a good coach? Like mm. the areas that they make a difference now, the areas they focus yeah. on are, are not to be found in international football, right?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's a, I think international management's kind of a loco apprentice situation where you're you're borrowing players you're trying to meld people together in a very short space of time what does that mean it means that you're kind of like a, a, lo- a temporary loco- parent so like if you're like like a guardian aren't you what did you say then? loco apprentice loco apprentice in the
3: place of a parent yeah oh, That's
4: what it means. um i see it means that so whereas a kind of a i always feel like when you when you get to an international tournament or like important international like nations league games i feel like there's always this caveat in the background about well we've only been together for a week or two weeks or three weeks or you know um club systems you know are, are more important they're difficult to break down and we've got cliques on our squad so all of this stuff is kind of um it creates a very murky context by which to judge a manager and i feel that doesn't suit like if you If you aspire to be at the top of your profession in football it doesn't really suit you does it to mm. kind of operate in a i mean how many how many how many days a a year do you get with those players like what do you spend your time on if it's not on the training ground like how do you build the kind of um the cultish following that so many top managers acquire It's really hard and i yeah. it's also with England it's kind of unprecedented this situation because we had Okay, so Glenn Hoddle leaves the England job in '98 because of comments he made to Matt Dickinson about disabled people. Sven Goran Eriksson leaves because um, his relationship with the Football Association broke down. Fabio Capello resigned in protest at the treatment of John Terry, um, and um, Sam Allardyce had the um, resigned in in the wake of the Telegraph revelations and the kind of the the pint of wine saga, right? <laughs> so you've never really had the same situation, kind of the modern era, where you're saying. Right, is your tournament performance good enough despite the fact that you get on with all the players? Yeah. Seemingly, you don't ever really hear any kind of disgruntled stories about Southgate. No, they like him. They really like him. Yeah. The young players, especially, seem to like him. He yeah. dresses really well. Yeah, well, you, you've <sighs> never had the kind of like the. Remember when David Bentley said what he did about Capello and him and Jimmy mm. Bullard wanted to be kind of jokers in the squad and Capello, you know, didn't really go for that. and um, Rob Green said that after his mistake in Ristenberg in 2010, Cabella didn't talk to him for the rest mm. of the tournament. Like, so you never had that stuff. With Southgate, he's liked. People um, respect him within the squad. The players seem to really enjoy working with him. Also, unusually, you have players um, individually playing at kind of the same standard they do for their clubs. Yeah. So one of the things that came up tonight was Saka's performance and that was Arsenal Saka. That's yeah. the guy that's lit up the Premier League this season playing for England, whereas... In previous generations, you don't really, well, you never really saw that, or you saw someone kind of crowbarred into an awkward position, never quite mm-hmm. maximised club performance. Yeah. So, it, I, I don't, I'm not sure. I, I'm going to sit on the fence in terms of what I think should happen, but it's a hard decision. It's not clear. I up. think it
1: is. I think it, but I think it's worth saying that if he does go, he's done a very good job. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you know, a final, a semi-final, a quarter-final in three tournaments, like for England. That's good,
3: isn't it? We've talked about high floor, low ceiling teams, and I feel like that's what Southgate has made England, and that's not to be sniffed at. It feels mm. as though England have gone as far as they probably could in most tournaments. So like, if you look back on it and say, "Okay, you're going to lose to Croatia in the semi-finals, you're going to lose to Italy in the final, you're going to lose to France in the quarterfinals," people will say, "You know, well, that's that's all we expect from this man yeah. mm. manager and this team mm. every time." The, the the big question is like, would a different manager have taken them further in one of those? In one of those tournaments, and I mean that's a it's a counterfactual we'll never know, but that's always why there's going to be debate about Southgate because there always is going to be people who think that that's possible. But,
1: but I guess the point I wanted to we kind of made this a few a few days ago on the podcast as well is that they they have the same debate in France, right? With mm-hmm. the exception of the fact that they won the tournament in twenty eighteen. <laughs> the, the same debate right in Brazil, with, yeah. they have the same debate all around the world. If it, yeah. Often you have it in a little echo chamber, and it feels like you're the only. Mm national team uh, fans doing that but it's just not
3: true i think it it does come back to like what we're talking about in terms of what is expected of a manager because you've mentioned graham potter and like graham there will be lots of managers in the same boat as graham potter who will say okay at the moment i want to develop my club career i want to be at the 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 coal face of domestic football Mm. because that's where tactical innovation is happening that's there's a tempo to the domestic game that isn't there in the international game right so if you're if you're managing a chelsea you can you can be there every day you're at the training ground you're constantly trying to improve your team if you're an international manager you're you're meeting up with people every with, with your squad every
4: two or three months it must be so hard to appoint an international manager because like mm-hmm. i've been watching the chat and people are throwing names like thomas duke all yeah. in and none of them would do it and it's like well first of all no i i probably not but also why would they be good at it? Because there's no track record of them having hmm. done that job in the past, and the jobs are so different. Yeah. I'm not saying that. Um, a it Thomas sounds Tickle, fun though, doesn't it? It sounds fun, but it's also I, I, I have no idea whether Thomas Tickle would be a great or an awful England manager, or just an average one. Or it's just it's really hard to know, and so it's a very very difficult appointment to get right. And like John said, at any given moment. There just aren't that many people who are going to want to yeah. leave, who are in employment, who are going to want to leave a club. No, for sure. To, to do that job. It's Key say a the well, saying <laughs> name.
2: Well, I've been thinking, no, 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 I've been thinking, no, 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 like no, no, Serena Weigman. No, no. uh-huh. I'll okay. just put that out there. Good but name, good name. I think um, let her win the World Cup with the Lionesses first sure. and then do a thing with England. But I think. It's, it's not the, a terrible idea. A couple of people agree with you in the chat. It's a good good shout. But I've been thinking, because I noticed someone mentioned Pep Guardiola, and I've been thinking. You know, we're discussing this, but it is interesting that could Pep Guardiola, you imagine he's that brilliant of a manager. He could definitely win the World Cup with anyone. You feel like he could whip any team into shape and just win the World Cup with them. But then at the same time, they get such little time to craft mm. and, mm. you know, build that, that team. And, and he's
1: only done the Champions League with Barcelona, right? I mean, that would be the big criticism about Gu- yeah, Guardiola you know I mean? is that it's in terms of like the premier tournament, he can't do it with just any Just completely other
2: team. different jobs. Like mm. Pochettino is another name I think that will be... Probably, maybe doing the rounds as well.
3: The the irony here is that the two, probably the two best tactical managers in the tournament, have have been knocked out. Yeah, Luis Enrique and Luis Enrique, and again, that's like we talk. I talked about England being maybe like a high floor, low ceiling team, but you feel like with Spain and Germany, they're high ceiling, maybe low floor teams, and that's the the issue, right? If you can't get your team through those lower rank games where you're going to play against sides who are just going to sit deep and cause you problems, then it doesn't matter. Like you can, maybe they would have, maybe either of those two teams, if they, if if Spain had got through, past Morocco, if Germany had got through into the knockout stages, we, they could still be in the tournament right now. We would probably be talking about them as the favourites. But because mm. they couldn't break down those lower blocks, because they didn't have the time to be as tactically, you know, subtle as, as you might need to be at that level, then yeah. it doesn't work.
1: Triffin uh, Tart in the uh, chat says, international football shouldn't have managers, just let the 26 players figure it out. Yeah, I quite is, like that that's idea. Funny. Yeah, that, that is so funny. Fun. I quite like If you had one World Cup where there were no coaches allowed, no managers, only players. Imagine the power dynamic, the power struggles. You like imagine the 32 episodes of Succession. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love it.
3: But Ronaldo technically is the Portugal manager anyway, right? That's I
1: think that is how it works, yeah. Mm.
3: That's a yeah. nice segue too.
1: Very nice segue because next up we're going to talk about Portugal nil, one Morocco. You're very good at this, aren't you? I am just yeah. going to say. One Morocco. Um, what a fantastic, I'll tell you what we should do. We should have a break and then come back with a change of tone. What do you think? Like it. A little, ch- little tone yeah. change?
4: In what direction, though?
1: Let's find out. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> whoa portugal
1: nil one morocco am i right keeper? in thinking this is the first time that an african nation has made it to the semifinals of the world cup
2: yeah i think you you're definitely right in thinking oh, that oh it's exciting massively exciting i think they've got the whole continent of africa now behind them and a lot of other people of england haven't gone out i think it's going to be difficult for them against france but what a performance mm. just defensively just sat there and just were magnificent, been so good to watch, knocked out some big teams, now Portugal another one. I mean, I was pretty, Portugal were just really underwhelming, I thought, just offered very little. Um, never thought they were going to score at any point really and Morocco just held on and yeah, just amazing. But I think I was thinking about their manager, Morocco's uh, Waleed reg Raggi. am I right, reg
3: Raggi reg Reggi. I think is how they say it
2: um he only got the job 101 days ago mm-hmm. so kind of feed into that just give the manager the job like three months before the world cup yeah and that's it's when you... worked
1: here and therefore
2: yes I'll i like mean it, I, it might I'll not like work it. going forward but it'd be quite fun wouldn't it <laughs>
1: i agree for sure yeah what did you like most about the game would you say
2: i think that morocco won yeah that was nice i think
4: they did as well <laughs> what did you like Seb? amrabat again Nahi, oh. who played in the right of their midfield, I thought was just, I don't know very much about him.
1: There was this moment in, what is it, 10 minutes before the end, maybe even like where Amrabat carries it past about six players out yeah. from his own corner flag.
4: So I've been reading up about from, you know, um, the sort of the updates that have been coming out of the Moroccan camp, and he apparently needed a painkilling injection to get through uh, the last 16 mm. game. That's amazing. And I, one of the things that we thought ahead of this game was that bridge too far, right? Because Amrabat is the heartbeat. He's so important as kind of the linchpin of that midfield. And he, yep. he he's the buttress for everything that happens. And you thought it's game too far. And he was absolutely magnificent again. And that moment, like you're quite right, when uh, you'd be tempted after sort of 82 minutes as a Moroccan player just to bang it as far as you can out the other end of the pitch, beats two or three players, plays his way out of danger. He was magnificent. I really liked Anahi, um, the Angers player who... Uh, I didn't know very much about, but I had a little look on FB ref and at his profile and he's um, yeah. I mean, he's sort of uh, excellent taking players on receiving progressive passes, that kind of thing. And that matched that that's from his, his club performances, obviously. And that matched up to his, his performance today. And I felt like he kind of typified Morocco in the sense that, It's their football, um, it is resilient and there are defensive aspects to it, particularly as fatigue sets in. But I think they're really bold and brave too. Like if you look at their front three, those are, um, so Buffal, El Nesri and Hakim Ziyech, those are three really kind of flare heavy players Um, and they play football. They're not Mm. kind of, they're not sitting behind the ball. They they counter-attack, they're expressive and it's just a great story. And we mentioned the article um, right at the beginning about sort of the way their supporters celebrate, it's just so important that you have these moments in World Cups because, I mean, in this World Cup specifically, uh, there don't seem to be very many fans from every country apart from Argentina and Morocco. Um, And, you know, if it was a sort of uh, a France, I mean, I don't know how many France-England fans there were in the stadium tonight, but it's not quite the same. And so what you get is this this combination of bold, um, odds-defying football surrounded by this... uh, I'm not even sure how to describe it. It's kind of frenetic Moroccan yeah. support. Um,
1: well, also, and it's not just, I uh, think it's worth pointing out, it's not just support from people from Morocco now, no. right? There's a, the support of many of the people from the Arab world, many of the people from from Africa whose teams either aren't there or are already eliminated. And one of the nice narratives around the World Cup is that it is the first to be hosted in, in, in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, it's just, I mean, it's like, isn't it kind of brilliant that you've got uh, an African, North African team in the semifinals? finals
4: it is. Uh, it's just important for football too. Um, yeah, Alan said after the game. I said before the game. I think before the after the the last sixteen, um, he talked about kind of some of the um, some of the challenges that face managers um, who coach in Africa or coach in the Arabic world. Um, he was he sort of um, mentioned the fact that you know someone of his coaching background would never get a job at Manchester City or Barcelona, and. He's kind of got a point right, because if you look at what he's pulled off in this tournament, like if you look at the the results that he's achieved, uh, it's pretty staggering. And uh, I know his goalkeeper played very, very well today. Uh, Bono was absolutely outstanding. Also, if you haven't seen it, a lovely picture of him and his son on the pitch afterwards and his son's wearing his goalkeeping gloves and they're absolutely massive. His mm, son must be like so three easy. or four years old. Um, but his dad's gloves are enormous. Mm. It looks like um, you know, in, like a cartoon where... Uh, like uh, you know,
1: Where a character has large hands. Exactly that. <laughs> yes. Exactly that. The of with yes.
4: hands. It looks like that. And it's a very, very sweet moment. Um, but what a success. Like it's just worked. They've been... Yeah. I, I think what I'll take away from this game beyond the individual performances is the fact that Portugal, beyond that um, that one rasping shot from Charles Felix, created nothing. Sure. Like, they were just contained, despite on came another attacking player, uh, like, the, you know, uh, Lau came on and Ronaldo came on, and like this kind of revolving door of world-class performers. Yeah. And the door stayed shut. Well, let's talk
1: about the shut door, John, hmm. and how sustainable the, the idea is. I mean, I asked you... Um, not long ago can Morocco beat France? And you said no, but then also they shouldn't have beaten Portugal and maybe they, you know, like we didn't expect them uh, to win against Spain. Um, Is it sustainable? Do you think?
3: I think the big worry for me is whether or not they're going to remain fit enough and have enough players available to them. So you've got players dropping out. You've got obviously the, the amount of energy it requires to play this style of football is very high. And I think in the second half in particular, we saw, like the the first half was incredible. Uh, we saw the the Waleed Regregi approach at its finest and it's just it, it just seems absolutely seamless to, to the, the the low block and then the, the counter and and their ability to to manage the game to fall back into that low block which is this is the, the ebb and flow of this kind of game right is you, you you sit deep you absorb the pressure and then you pick your moments to go forward and mm. it requires a huge amount of energy a huge amount of intelligence to play that way and then in the second half we saw it sort of looking a lot more raggedy and and, and by the end they dropped to a, a back five and they were sort of six holding in wasn't it yeah. So, um, but I, I think it's it's important to recognise that this isn't just boring low block football. I think a lot of people said, oh, "Wouldn't it be great if yeah. Morocco did a Greece?" And I just think that's. Very unfair to what this team are doing because mm. this team has a system. They have, um, they, they have their their low block and that their low block is very interesting. And they also have the players to be able to expand yeah. and and, and counter it.
1: Just to so. be specific, you're talking about uh, Charlie Jones, the producer of the Totally Football Show, aren't you? Should we <laughs> should we stir the pot a little bit? Get A <laughs> he, bit yeah. of a. Uh, I mean, he's
3: using. Let's be fair to him. He's using a turn of phrase there, which of is of course you know, winning, as they do on the Totally playing. Football yeah, Show. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? But only, the only inferior the
1: podcast here. to so this one is that <laughs> oh, we are the true We've been watching the football in. with them. It's fine.
3: Do not listen to the others. It's fine. We're the prophets. Go ahead. Can I talk about pressing? Please
1: do. I love it when you talk about pressing. Thanks, man.
3: Um, so uh, what we've seen a lot of in um, this tournament, weirdly, is is uh, an approach to pressing which feels a little bit outdated, and that approach is to, to funnel opposition players into the middle um, to, to then spring pressing traps. So here you might expect if um, Portugal are building up with the ball here, let's move all of these guys out of the way, um, they're building up with their back four. So we've got back four here. Now remember the audio listeners. Yes. Remember we've got the those back people. four around the halfway line. Let's say the ball is with one of the centre backs. Um, now normally what you'd expect here is your your forward to press against the center back and force the ball wide to the fullback and in that situation you'd expect a wide player so buffal in this instance mm. to go up and press against against dalla but what you'll notice here is that by doing that you're allowing a huge amount of space in between the fullback and the and the wide player in here. behind in behind yeah yeah so um, a lot of teams in this tournament actually um have liked to do this because it forces the ball inside. And I think you can go player for player and it's just an easy way of doing a pressing system. But actually what we've seen... Uh, Morocco doing and I think this is because they they recognize that a lot of teams in build-up phases are going to be much stronger in the wide areas because you you know you can uh, you can overload in the middle you can push them wide and then you can have double doubled up like fullback winger uh, on the same player and so what we've seen in these situations actually is the number eights in this instance pushing on the on the fullback so we will have Amala here just Uh, pressing onto the the fullback and what you're doing then is you're saying okay if you can work it past us we've got the ability to just drop in here into the into the middle into the central area Uh, if you can if you if you get the ball past our press then you can have the center ground but we're not absolutely going to let you have any space of time in the wide areas Mm. um because I think a lot of creative players just like to drift out wide because they know they'll get space and time on the ball. Uh, and this approach has just been super um, important for them. So the eights push up, really aggressive press um, and, and opposition teams just have not been able to actually cause any problems from from these sorts of situations.
4: One more point about the coaching. Like if you think about the stuff that Morocco have lost in this tournament, okay, so Saez had to go off injured in the first half. Um, Aguad was injured in the last game. And obviously Mizrahi is a big loss as a fullback It's one of the very very best fullbacks uh, in the world uh, will become one of them and yet still they retain this resilience I think that's really impressive because if you think about um I think it's a conversation we've had in England not necessarily this tournament but over the years if you lose that one player who's really really important to you then your tournament's kind of over that's that's sort of the mentality whether it's true or not uh Morocco have adjusted around everything that's happened to them Mm. Uh, and that's just coaching dexterity right that's just that's got to be part of that's got to be factored into kind of our appreciation of their run here
2: yeah I think my favorite thing about them is that the families have been allowed in the team hotel
4: yeah and
2: I think this has been like this big thing that like you know England over the years like the families are in hotels elsewhere because you know that would distract them that this is not distracting Morocco, it's inspiring them. And you're seeing that in the scenes at the end of the game yeah. when you're seeing, you know, Hakimi and his mum giving him a big kiss oh, and a hug. The and the that was just gorgeous Hakimi moment. And, his mom. like, yeah, and you can see that this emotion and everything isn't getting to them in a negative way by far it's a positive thing and mm. it's you know that's the the fight and the playing for the families for the country and you can really feel that and that's why it's such a a nice story to get behind yeah. and a, a nice team to follow now it's, for the remainder it's
1: quite an interesting idea isn't it because you often you associate with um i think professionalism and maintaining calm in a football game a coldness or like a, a lack of emotion. Mm. Sterile focus. A right? sterile focus. Yeah. It's not clear to me that that's always the the way that it works, is it? I mean, is, is that how it would work in a normal life? It presumably has. It, it must
4: depend on the personalities involved. Like for certain groups, it suits them to have... Yeah. Um, have their families around them. To others, it is a distraction. I I don't know. I, I think no what idea, what
1: people but... mean when they talk about emotion in football, they mean kind of wild emotion where mm-hmm. someone is like is liable to lash out or let their emotions get the better of them. Yeah. But often that you know the the response to that is not to be without emotion. Like often. You can you can be at your most calm or satisfied or, mm. or you know, tranquil or whatever when when you are emotional.
4: Well, also like a tournament is gonna be for most players a real roller coaster. Mm. So wouldn't you want, you know, your your wife or your mum and dad or like whatever around you as a sort of um as a comfort? I mean it's pretty pretty cutthroat environment a World Cup. Like mm. yes, okay, one team goes on wins and more often than not wins all of their games and goes undefeated. For others, it's having to bounce back from diversity in very short spaces of time yeah. and having to kind of exist in this, uh, this arena of kind of hyper focus where yeah. the news cycle is unusually ridiculous or even more so than it normally is. Um, it's. Do you know hard. who I'd want around me? Is it JJ? No, no, it's, it's, my, it's my distant French-Moroccan family. You are just trying to recover <laughs> ground and repair damage that you did to your family oh, relations yeah. earlier <laughs> in the episode.
3: Yeah. I'm reading a book at the moment called Intangibles by a US journalist called Joan Ryan. It's all about team chemistry, essentially. And she speaks yep. to a lot of people working in, particularly baseball, but also talks to a lot of neuroscientists as well. And there's a, a lot of weight put on this hormone called oxytocin, um, which is supposedly released in certain situations, um, and is released through things like is nat- naturally things. occurring, yeah, naturally occurring, and released through things like hugging or, or um, uh, yeah, when, when those moments when you are able to. Um, I think that a lot of it comes down to mirror neurons as well. So when you see something happening to someone else, it releases this.
2: Like when it, you see this. a really cute dog on the tube. Yeah, exactly, and and
1: when and, you see someone someone else see a really cute dog.
3: Yeah, so we we see things we see things happening, and and we are able to mirror those. We can mirror the feeling that those things yeah. are, are producing in other people. Yeah. Um, but I think that obviously this, it, the ability to have your family around you, I mm-hmm. think, is going to be really important in that in that sense, and that it, it's, it's going to produce this this hormone that that actually. If you like them, if you like them, yeah. yeah. I, I suspect if you don't like your family, probably don't take them with you to a World Cup and have don't them take in your them. hotel.
1: Yeah. Each to their own. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah okay fine uh well well done to morocco and uh portugal yeah i'm bored
4: i feel that's a massive failure
1: yeah just i guess because... we probably should talk about it well let's do it quickly though and maybe we'll, i mean we'll talk about portugal a lot more uh but go, go ahead go ahead i just think with
4: the squad that they had uh we just this was you can't dress up in anything other than uh it's just ugly reality failed um there was no creativity like look at the different um Look at the different footballers that were introduced over the course of the game, and not one of them seemed to shift the needle of performance at all. Like you're talking about the ability to bring someone like Cancelo off the bench, or Leao or um, Vitinha came off the bench. Um, it, it's an extraordinary level of talent, uh, and then just not to produce any kind of um, attacking thrust. Also, it's kind of disappointing because um, I spoke to our, our friend Tiago, and um, a lot of the Portuguese players have had a well, a couple of them had had a very negative response to the referee. Which seems, I don't remember much that was particularly controversial about this game. Certainly no it wasn't in the kind of the Argentina-Netherlands bracket. Mm. Um, and yet there have been f- quite a few comments which are only now being translated into English. So I, I want to kind of leave them alone. Um, but yeah, there's been a bit of a backlash in the hours since their elimination. And I just think the fault was no one's, but there's uh, it's yeah. just a really poor performance.
1: Yeah.
3: Okay, fine. Yeah, I Can mean, I just say you, one more thing?
1: Do you desire to speak? I do. Yeah, okay. I was Go just ahead. going to talk
3: about Portugal. I, I mentioned that in the first half, Morocco were really, really excellent at, at keeping Portugal quiet. And in the second half, it got a little bit ragged. But in the second half, I mean, Portugal only put up about 0.89 yeah. xG according to Opta, in the second half as well. So even when Morocco were a little bit more raggedy in their in their second half, they were still stopping Portugal from generating dangerous chances. And I think, again, that's, that's a, a really incredible ability to be able to I think Portugal in the end had 72% possession and um, I think if you looked at the, all of the chances that Portugal had the average expected goals for each shot was around 0.06 or 0.07 and what you would expect from those sorts of situations is something closer to 0.12 so you know you're talking about double what what actually you might expect so really
4: good effort by the Moroccan team yeah also like the centre-back Al Yamek I think a place for um uh, Valladolid um i haven't seen very much of him before but uh every time like uh, there were so many portuguese attacks we seemed to end with him making a head clearance and it was amazing how often like portugal went back to that route um morocco dealt with everything that was arrowed into their box like and so just shelling a penalty box for for you know 60 minutes when you need a goal seems a, a really strange um really strange approach but he was excellent he was uh, he was so resilient, and uh, he dealt with absolutely everything at the back post as well, which is very, very impressive. Mm. Uh, don't know much about him, but I like him. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, there we go. Now, let's play points about. Ooh. And points I'm very excited bad. to play this. Do you really, know why? Really, Have you bad. won? No. Okay. What's the next best thing JJ that losing.
4: happen? That's the thing you like most. What do
1: you than... think JJ hasn't done? Oh. JJ Bull texted me 43 minutes ago to ask... If he needed to send points about, oh, that's that's that's. He's had his one reminder. I've said yes. Why would he not need to do it? I texted him back yes one minute ago and said you have sixty seconds, but he's out in the pub. There's no way he's doing it. Do you know what I think he's doing? Hasn't I think he's picked the message. He hasn't blue ticked it. I think he's solidifying the not trying. Ah, uh, uh, I think yeah, yeah, okay. that he's deliberately not sent them to gain ten points so that when you win. He can go. Oh, I got that ten points because you know whatever. So it's not a legit. He's going to try and make out it's not a legitimate win.
3: Can you imagine? So in order to avoid that, should we try to get him on the phone? The thing is, though, he's only going to approve call isn't he? What could go wrong? Game he's going to miss.
1: He's been drinking for hours, so lots could go wrong. But it is also (laughs)
4: live.
1: (laughs) I'm on the live stream as we speak. Are you happy to go on loudspeaker without saying anything terrible? No, I just want you. Just you need to give us. Okay, I'm putting you on loudspeaker now. Don't say anything please bad. do not yeah? swear. Don't say anything bad. Yeah. I'm go okay. You're fine. We can hear you, JJ. You need to tell us what your prediction yeah. for Argentina-Croatia is, please. Oh, thank you so much for telling me that. Uh, Argentina-Croatia, I think is going to be Argentina
2: one, Croatia no.
1: There we go. i have up on him. Argentina won, <laughs> Croatia nil. But... Felt or a bit JJ like phone a friend, though. Yeah, it was a little
4: bit, wasn't it? Is, is, was JJ
1: supposed to be? It doesn't matter if he was supposed to go first because the alternative is you win and he pretends it's not a legitimate uh, contest. Okay. We don't want that. Okay. We don't want JJ's that.
2: definitely in the pub now, still chatting to you. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> I
1: hope so. that would be fun. That'd be fun for him too. You know, I'm a nice person to chat to. Fine. Listen, let me tell you the results from today. Uh, JJ Bull uh, was not supposed to go first. He was supposed to go last because he had a very very good so day. So if one of us goes, he, for
3: Argentina, Argentina, one, Croatia, nil. Does that mean he gets five points?
1: He sent us three. He's now uh, okay. sent me three, so we can change them if we want to. Um But uh, thank you for that. There we go. He says he promised he'd written it down, but maybe I guess he hadn't sent it. There we go. JJ Bull wins the day with only two points. One point gained on each game there. Pretty impressive day from JJ, obviously trying today. Uh, Seb Stafford-Bloor, you're second with three points added. Uh, three points all added in the Morocco-Portugal game Soccer. because, of course, you got a perfect score with France-England. Congratulations. Thank you. Well done. You. John, you came third with four points, just one off in the England game. Uh, three added in Morocco-Portugal. And I came last with ten. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: can't uh, believe that your 5 nil prediction for England didn't come through. There, I
1: think? picked up four points on my... Uh, 3-2 Portugal prediction and I picked up 6 on my 5-0 England prediction. So I think it might be curtains for me at this stage. But JJ's yeah. given us his prediction. Let's see. You've both probably forgotten what it was by now. It was yeah, 1-0. 1-0 Argentina. Great. There we go. Now everyone's remembered again. Uh, me to go first.
3: Go 1-0, 1-0 Argentina.
4: I mean, I
1: could Argentina. go 1-0. 1-0 Argentina. And you guys would have to guess. 1-0
4: Argentina.
1: I think it's going to be 2-1 to Argentina. Um, John you're next
3: this is horrible isn't it because they like draw they always draw that's the thing isn't it they go to well, penalties you can, you can and guess draw. draw yeah but guessing and draw is boring isn't it
1: I mean yeah but like also you do need to do well there's not many opportunities for you to do well anymore there's this, this is. I have to do well. This is one of the final. You're
3: telling f- me that points are bad, Joe. <laughs> At this late stage in the competition, check your contract. This John is McKenzie. one of the final
1: four opportunities for you to, to gain. To gain.
3: Well, I, before this I wasn't trying, but now that you've told me the points are bad,
1: just say one-one. Come uh, on, one-one. There we go. Exactly. Sepsi Seb, What do you think? Uh,
4: one-nil Argentina.
1: You think one-nil Argentina? Fine, which means JJ is now a nil-nil. That was his second choice which, again, is very trying. That's very trying. Um, that's it. I can tell you that the grand totals after day 21, I'm in last place, obviously, with 144. <laughs> it's fine.
2: Did we listen to the song?
1: Oh, No. But we'll, so, listen the, we'll listen to the song afterwards as okay. the outro. Good should we fade people. out yeah, the song?
2: That's all yeah. I came here There's for. There's two
1: people here today song. that are better at my job than I am. That's good, isn't it? I've been waiting to listen to the song,
2: so... In which
1: case, you should also read out the final ones of these. So I've read my score. Next up is John. One,
2: three... Four. Oh, one,
1: three, four. That's
2: not bad. I'm
3: 10 ahead of you.
1: You're 10 ahead of me. Oh, wow. Yeah, then the, it was uh, yesterday it was quite there was close, a wasn't 10 it? point gap between first and last. Now there's a 10 <laughs> point gap between fourth and third. Uh, next up we have.
2: 131.
1: And it's JJ in second place because Sam Stafford Bloor in first place with.
2: 128. Oh!
1: Oh, lovely! Surely That's, no one's listen, coming back.
2: It's a three-point game. No one catches. Do that.
1: That's, no one can that, catch you're you. You're trying to sell You're, it you're so teammates. safe right now. Listen, what you have to do now yeah. is hope that JJ goes first or goes ahead of you. Yeah. Right. And all you have to do is choose things that are less the one, one away from his prediction. So even if you both pick up six, the worst thing that could happen I don't is a John result. That someone I don't in the chat
3: has pointed out that had Joe failed to give any. Pop- scores for this last set of games, you would still have had the same amount of points. <laughs> so you might as well not play. <laughs>
1: yeah, that is true. Isn't that? Yeah. that is true. <laughs> but it's all about the thrill of the game. It is. It's I, the I think of the game.
3: it's the taking part that counts, yeah. not let's, the winning.
1: Let's uh, get our headphones ready. Um, and uh, while we do that, I will say uh, thank you to uh, oh, thank you. Uh, John, John McGenzi. There he goes, John McGenzi. Hope you, hope you had a nice time. Thank you.
4: Yeah, I had a lovely time.
1: Thank you to Seb for oh, I had a very
4: nice time. Thank you.
1: Uh, a special thank you to Kiva O'Neill.
2: Thanks for having me again. Round of applause.
1: And round of applause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thanks to the production suite of Don and Jamie, who are going to outro us now. Oh, thanks to Editor Nathan, who's back. Oh, yeah. Thank Christ. Um, that was that was not good for you last night. I didn't night. like that. No, you didn't uh, like that. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> they're going to outro us with points of sad. Um, oh, and one more quick thanks as well. Uh, to ba, 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 Tom Hawkins, who provided us the points are bad sheet. We mentioned that at the beginning, but this has been a lifesaver for us during the tournament. So thank you, Tom Hawkins. And now we play out with, uh, with Ban Summers. Points are sad. <laughs> nice okay cut it